Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Today we take a look at two dueling cases of insanity. First off, what would you do if you were kicking back enjoying a Nickelodeon cartoon and the next thing you knew, you were a raving lunatic? And then we take a look at another form of insanity. One that led a man to build a nation. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. Hope you guys are having lots of fun. I hope you guys have some cool plans for the weekend. Let's go ahead and get this episode started. we got a ton of stuff to cover. So first off, coming into Dead Rabbit Command, dressed up like royalty. Everyone bow to your boy, Roma. Everyone give a round of applause to your boy, Roma. And he's walking in, dressed up as... Burger King, <laughs> the Burger King guy, right? He's walking in. He's like, what? I didn't agree to this. Yes, yes, you did. You, whenever you join the Patreon, you may be used in an ad for a Burger King. So your boy, Ryoma, is walking in. He's like, dude, could you at least pronounce my name right? You're making me dress up like Burger King. I'm a vegetarian. I don't know if he's a vegetarian. But anyways, you're dressed up as the Burger King, and you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. Whether we're flying to Burger King to get a Whopper, a Whopper Jr., or a BK Broiler... I know your boy, Ryoma. <laughs> it gets worse every single time we pronounce it. I know your boy will take us there. Maybe you want a milkshake. <laughs> do they have milkshakes at Burger King? I'm sure they do. And I'm sure they're delicious. So your boy, Ryoma, go ahead. And um, what, I kind of got lost here. I'm so busy thinking about how great Burger King is. But, oh, this is what I was supposed to say. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just please go to your local Burger King and buy yourself. A meal, it's delicious. They got the fries, they got sodas, they got sodas, right? Drink a soda. Drink a Burger King drink today. That is another way you can help support Dead Rabbit Radio. Ya boy, Ryoma, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to our new vehicle. It's the BK Broiler Bicycle. The wheels the wheels are just big chunks of meat. Or I don't know, the broiler might be a chicken. Not one of the seats made out of a chicken patty. It's super hot to sit on, but get on board. It's freshly grilled. It's a charred broiled chicken patty in the shape of a seat. We're like, ah, you're like, Jason, is this bit? Is this bit going anywhere? Just get on the bicycle, guys. Just get on the BK Broiler bicycle. Your boy, Rioma, is taking us out from Dead Rabbit Command. It's festooned with Burger King stuff everywhere. We are headed all the way out to some dude's living room. That's the noise the BK Broiler bicycle makes. We need to oil the wheels of this BK Broiler bicycle. But your boy gets us there. We're at some dude's house. Now, I found this online. It was written by GoblinWitch95. We're going to call this dude Terry. It's 2014. We're at Terry's house. And he's kicking back and he's watching The Fairly Odd Parents, that popular Nickelodeon show about the two flying people, Cosmo and uh, Spandex. And then there's like Timmy is the kid and the grant wishes. And this kind of just goes on and on and on for eight or nine or 13 seasons. 
This guy's watching the Fairly Odd Parents, and he's sitting there, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Oh." <laughs> I had some Burger King to eat. I'm so hungry. But then he thinks, wait a second. Before Jason launches into another ad for Burger King, got to have it your way. He's sitting there. He's watching the Fairly Odd Parents, And he goes, wait a second. I've seen this episode before. Now, not in the sense of a repeat, but I'm having deja vu right now. Like, I remember sitting on the couch right now watching this episode. His sister's sitting there, too, and he's like, oh, my God. I remember, like, sitting next to my sister. I remember watching the show. Now, Deja Vu is one of those things. It's super unsettling when it happens. I get it occasionally, and it's just a weird feeling because it honestly feels like you've relived that exact same moment again. Even the air pressure feels the same. Stuff you that you couldn't even replicate feels the same. And a lot of people say it's just basically your brain is, like, hitting a bump. And it's like a little record scratch. You're not actually reliving the events. Your brain's just making you think you live the events. And this is what Terry's going through right now. He's like, I remember this. I remember this. I remember I did all of this stuff anyways. But the feeling doesn't go away. Each passing minute, it gets stronger and stronger. And the jokes keep coming on that show. And he's like, I already remember Cosmo's going to say this. And then that other girl's going to do this. And, and he can't get a grip. The deja vu will not go away. And Terry realizes this is what it's like to lose your mind. And you go, Jason, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're telling me that this kid just had a little bit of deja vu. He thinks he's going insane. He feels like he's trapped in a mental loop. This has happened before. His brain is going haywire and he gets up and he starts panicking. He starts pacing around the living room and he feels like, this is it. I've lost my mind. And then a thought pops in his head, cutting through all the noise and the panic. Quote, I would rather be dead than get put into a psych ward. He starts having visions of himself killing himself. He starts to have visions of killing himself. He said, I remember in that moment, I was so panicked that I was insane. He goes, I remember I won't go to a hospital. And when they take me out of the house, when they try to transport me to the psych ward, I'm going to find the tallest building in the area and I'm going to run up. I can see myself running up the stairs. The pursuers quick behind me. And when I know I'm far enough up, I'm going to jump out a window, kill myself. He said that he felt like his brain was creating a backup plan. Better dead than crazy. His body had almost issued a self-destruct initiative. He says he's stuck in this for an hour. The feeling is not going away. He sees... Visions of madness and suicide. And then his mom comes over, right? This is the perfect time for your mom to show up when you're on the edge. And he tells his mom, he goes, Mom, Mom, did I watch this show yesterday? And the mom's probably like, what? That's weird. Yes, yes. You have watched The Fairly Odd Parents before. And he goes, that put me oddly at ease. And then I turn to my sister, and he goes, 
hey, you know this whole thing where I got up and I've been walking around for like an hour? I've been pacing around this room and practicing my jumping skills, practicing my running from guys with big nets from the psych ward. That was crazy, huh? How long have I been doing that for? And she says, sister goes, what? You've been doing this for like five minutes. What do you mean, an hour? What are you talking about? Did you notice you were jumping a lot? Getting those calf muscles ready. And Terry goes, those five minutes will never leave me. Like that experience, he couldn't believe that it was only five minutes long. But the fact that he felt like he was, it was two things going on. One, he goes, I felt like I was losing my mind. I felt like I had no control over perception. He goes, but what scared me more than that was the fact that I so quickly came up with the idea on how to kill myself. He goes, I'm not someone who indulges in self-harm. That's what scared him. That it took this little glitch in his brain to make him go, well, I guess I'm going to have to kill myself now. From somebody who never engaged in that thought process to completely planning out how it would happen. That's always the big thing we look at when people are talking about suicide. Do they have a plan? Do they have the means to make that plan happen? He had a plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do. If They tried taking him to a psych ward. That's what scared him. And I find it really interesting because a lot of times on the show we talk about people who snap. That's one of the scariest things to me because you think the person who's the person who's kind of weird. We covered that story, the woman, she was watching Jeepers Creepers all the time, which is weird anyways because those movies suck. She's watching Jeepers Creepers all the time. She's watching all these horror movies. She started calling up just random numbers saying she was going to chop people's heads off and murder them. And the police got involved with the mother's like, no, she's a good girl. And then eventually the woman chopped off her mom's head and threw it across the yard at her neighbor. That was like a descent of madness. Like that was, it's an unfortunate story, but you see the the warning signs all throughout there. And then we covered the story. I'll see if I can find it. It's one of my most terrifying stories, honestly, about the guy who was smoking weed with his best friend's girlfriend. And they're smoking weed together. And then at one point he goes into the bathroom and a demon appears in the mirror and says, you gotta kill her. You gotta kill her. And then he leaves the bathroom and stabs her to death. She actually put up a big fight like the knife broke off in her. She pulls the knife blade out and begins stabbing him. But he unfortunately won that fight. But yeah, just snapped. All right, I mean, he's drug-induced. But still, totally normal person as far as we can tell. Next thing he knows, there's a demon in the mirror. So the, the people who snap are the ones that are the scariest because that could happen to anyone. Right. And you could argue that maybe that guy did have some mental health. I mean, again, he did murder someone. He might have had some mental health issues before then as well. But who knows? Maybe he just snapped. And those stories are always scary to me. But a lot of times we don't hear about the story until after the bad thing has happened. Right. Because obviously if he snaps and then goes to the psychiatrist or psychologist or chaplain or whoever he goes to for guidance and they help him. That's not a local news story or a national news story. That's good. Right, That's the best option ever. But generally, we hear about these people when they snapped and they've done something evil, morally corrupt. So this is interesting because we have the story of someone who did snap and didn't do anything awful. But they'll always be in fear of that because of how quickly they were ready to end it all. Their brain hit a little glitch, hit a little five-minute glitch, and who knows what caused that. But in that five-minute time period... 
they thought about killing themselves, seriously killing themselves. That's a creepy story. But you know what's not creepy? And you gotta wonder, you gotta wonder, if it happened to this dude, could it happen to us? And if it does, would we have the same reaction? And what if this didn't just last five minutes? What if it did last an hour? Or two hours? Or eight hours? We may never hear the story. It may just be a tragic local story about a young man jumped out of a building. Yeah, boy, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind this dude. Hope everything is okay for you. We are headed all the way out to a local Burger King. You're like, damn it, Jason. And the reason why we're at this Burger King is not because they're the sponsor of this episode. Because they're not legally, I can't say they are. But the reason why we're sitting in this Burger King is because I want to show you guys something. Follow me. Like, damn it, Jason, what type of weirdness is going to happen now? Follow me into this tunnel, right? It's a mysterious tunnel I've dug underneath Burger King. We go into this secret tunnel. We do a secret handshake. And then I pull out the BK crown card. You go, what, man? That's just some gift card. Anyone can buy those. And I go, no, no, no. Take a closer look at it. And you realize this is the Big King crown card. The Big King crown card. There's only 12 of them in existence. And what this card guarantees is unlimited Burger King for the rest of your life. George Lucas has one. George Lucas has a BK crown card. And here's why. Back in 1977, he said, you know what? I have this sci-fi movie called Star Wars. And I think it's going to be a big hit. And I am going to partner with Burger King. Like, this is before merchandising was really even a thing for our movies. I'm going to partner with Burger King. We're going to offer Star Wars glasses at Burger King for this dope movie that I'm making. And he loved his partnership with Burger King so much that even Revenge of the Sith, when he was still directing the movies, they had their tie-in with Burger King. Now, I remember getting Phantom Menace mugs, like cups, at... Taco Bell? But apparently the real good stuff was at Burger King. Jennifer Hudson from American Idol. She was also in that movie Dream Girls. She's a singer. She has one. She has a Burger King crown card. Because she used to work there. And she used to sing. This was before American Idol. She's not doing this now. But before American Idol, before she struck it big with her career, she used to sing at the drive-in. Now, Hugh Laurie, famous actor Hugh Laurie, he did an interview... And he said in his interview, you know what? I get a lot of celebrity perks, right? I'm Dr. House. I have this big show on Fox. And I walk around and people are like, people are like, diagnose me, diagnose me. I'm dying of this horrible, rare disease, Mr. House. And he's like, first off, I'm a doctor. Secondly, I'm not a doctor. It's just a television show. But he goes, my favorite celebrity perk, the number one celebrity perk is the Burger King crown card. I love it so much that I think it might be the best thing about being a celebrity. Now, here's the thing. He didn't have a card at the time. He, he did an interview talking about how much he loved Burger King and how much he wanted a card, and he was saying it was the ultimate celebrity perk. He'd heard about it, and he knew there was only 11 of these in existence at the time, so he put it out there that it was the biggest thing, so Burger King gave him 
a Burger King crown card. Now you go, Jason, wait a second. Are you trying to tell us that all this Burger King nonsense you've done during this episode, are you hoping in some weird way that Burger King sends you a free Burger King crown card because you've talked about it on this podcast? I will not confirm or deny that I'm using this show to get freebies. However, if Burger King would like to repay my my promotion on this podcast, number one, Science Podcast in El Salvador, Burger King, if they'd like to repay me by giving me a Burger King crown card, they can do it. I'm not going to turn it with some coupons. Send me some coupons to my P.O. Box. But the reason why I wanted to talk about Burger King wasn't just so I could get some free Burger King. And I swear, if Burger King sends me free stuff, this podcast will become nothing but me talking about how great Nordstrom's is and how I love shoes from Nike. But until that happens, I will not be a complete sellout. The reason why I wanted to talk about this and talk about insanity, and I love this story. This is so interesting. The other person who has one of these Burger King crown cards is Robert Downey Jr. The reason why I'm talking about this is Robert Downey Jr. owes his life to Burger King. And he's talked about this. He's talked about this. And when it came to him making Iron Man, which a lot of people don't remember, he was a washed-up actor who had been to jail multiple times in the middle of his career. Like, he didn't have a career. He was a joke. He was a joke. He got into drugs. He got into drugs hard. But his comeback movie, like, it was huge for him. No one knew if the MCU was going to be big. When they made Iron Man, as far as they knew, this was either going to be a hit like Spider-Man, or this was going to be a flop like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, or the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. Or even the made-for-TV Doctor Strange movie that came out in the late 70s. Like, you didn't know. There was no MCU. It could have ended right there. You have Robert Downey Jr. who'd come off a long time period where he was not acting. You had a comedy director making this superhero movie. Could have been ended up like Jonah Hex or Constantine. Just like a, a novelty movie. Kind of interesting. In that movie, he goes and he, after he's rescued... He's not even rescued, actually. He breaks out of the terror. Spoiler alert, he breaks out of the terrorist hideout building the Mark I Iron Man suit. When he gets back to America, he says, I want, the first thing I want is an American cheeseburger. And the next scene he's walking around, he's eating Burger King. That was not product placement. He goes, I want Burger King in this movie because Tony Stark's journey is my journey and Burger King changed my life. So because of that, Burger King actually has given him a crown card. And you'll see articles with headlines like, Burger King helped me beat addiction, Robert Downey Jr. says. That's a nice way to put it. Because let's take a look at why he actually did this. Before Iron Man, when he was still having some serious drug issues, he was driving around with a lot of dope in his car. A lot of drugs, right? And he stops at a Burger King... And he goes, I'm there, and I get this burger, and I get this drink, and I'm eating it, and this burger is so disgusting. It is the greasiest piece of garbage I've ever eaten. And I'm eating it, and I get this gut feeling, Robert, Robert, something really, really bad is about to happen. He said, I heard the message loud and clear. He goes, I took those drugs, I dumped them in the ocean, cleaned up my life, never looked back. And he goes, I owe it to Burger King. So Burger King leaves out the fact that their burger was so disgusting and made someone stop being a drug addict, but he felt it. He knew something bad was going to happen, and who knows what could have been. 
Best case scenario, right? He got pulled over by the cops and he gets busted for all these drugs and he does five years in prison because he'd already done a year in prison for previous crimes. So worst case scenario, right? He dies of an overdose. He gets robbed for the drugs. Someone kills him. He, he's just some washed up actor who dies in some crappy apartment somewhere. Burger King changed his life and that was the moment it changed. And he goes, that's why I had it in Tony Stark's life as well, where he goes from being a weapons manufacturer to someone who's trying to save the world. And I like the idea of people listening to their guts, listening to what the universe is trying to tell them. And and on this same topic of listening to your gut and listening, sometimes it's not just your gut, right? Sometimes it's not just like, I don't know if I should do that. Sometimes it's straight up hearing voices audibly hearing voices, which we would account as a mental illness. Do those ever tell you to do good things? We covered an episode a long time ago about a woman who heard voices and they told her to go get checked out and she had a tumor. She had a brain tumor. Very interesting episode. I'll put that in the show notes, but let's head out to West Chicago, Illinois. We'll finish up our Burger King real quick. We're headed out to West Chicago, Illinois. It's 1859. We're going to meet a young man. He's actually not a man. He's a young boy, four-year-old boy known as Arthur Stilwell. And he'd be playing at home in this house back in 1859. So mom's like washing dishes and they're like, if they can afford doors. And he would go, Aunt Sally's coming. You know, Aunt Sally's coming, mom. And mom would be like, what? Yeah, I'm sure she's coming. I hope she does. She owes me $5. That'll buy doors. A couple days later, Aunt Sally would show up. Oh, that's weird. Why did I have to have the weirdo kid? And Arthur Stilwell, the neighborhood weirdo, would be able to predict a couple days ahead who was going to show up. Now, 1852, it took a while to get places, right? So he was had ample notice, but how's he knowing about this? Are they sending telegrams? No. The voices. He actually called them the brownies. He named this collection of voices. He goes, I don't know their individual names. I don't even know how many there are, but there's a bunch of voices that I hear. And they said the reason why they talk to me is because it's easy for them to talk to me. He goes, they try talking to other people and other people don't hear them, but I hear them. I hear these voices. That's a parlor trick, right? Being able to pick out who's going to be here. Maybe he was wrong sometimes. Maybe it's selective. You know, you you remember the times he got it right, but you don't remember the times he got it wrong. We do that all the time. Every time I look at a clock, it's 11-11. No, you look at clocks all day long. You just remember that you see 11-11 over and over again. So at age 14, when him and his mom are walking and Arthur points at a girl and goes, I'm going to marry, I'm going to marry that girl in five years. The mom goes, she's had enough of this guy's weirdness. She's never met this girl before. They don't know who this girl is, but there he is. I'm going to marry that girl in five years. Her son's a weirdo, but she knows that that's probably going to happen. Sure enough, five years later, he marries Genevieve Wood. And he gets a good job at a local company, quickly promoted. Life is good for him. But the voices tell him, Go west and build railroads. He doesn't want to. He has a good job. He has a good job. We talked about jobs on yesterday's episode, right? He has a good job. And that's all. When you have a good job and you love your job, that's the best combination. He doesn't want to leave. But the voices won't let him go. Go west and build railroads. He's trying to take a bath. Go west and build railroads. 
Uh, what else are you doing in 1852? He's trying to, I don't know, bail hay. Go west to build railroads. He has no choice but to tell his wife, hey, listen, you know those voices I've been hearing for a while? Yes, Arthur, I know the voices. They're telling me to go west. They won't give up. What should we do? Well, honey, guess we go west. Him and Genevieve actually have to, like, borrow a cart, right? They don't have their own horse and buggy. They had to borrow a cart. They loaded their stuff up on it. They go out to Kansas. Arthur gets a job at a brokerage firm, starts to learn about banking, starts making connections, starts getting loans, and buys up land. And with his business connections, with his access to money and investors, he starts building railroads all over the country. Arthur Stilwell is responsible for laying 3,000 miles of railroads. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't John Henry out there himself with the, sh with the sledgehammer. But without Arthur Stilwell's drive and money, these railroads wouldn't have been built. They definitely wouldn't be built in this time period. Eventually, probably America, these things would have been needed. But at this time, his company is responsible for 3,000 miles of railroads. And along these railroads, 40 towns spring up, including Stilwell, Illinois, from his home state. There's cities named after him. He was so important to the expansion of transportation in America. And as he's building these railroads, he goes, okay, so the, the terminus for this giant rail line I'm building is going to be in Galveston, Texas. And the brownies are like, mm, we don't know about that. Because there's about to be a massive disaster in the city of Galveston. And if you have your terminus there, it's going to get washed away. You're going to have to rebuild it. And no one's going to want to go there, right? The entire place is destroyed. So you can have the railroad go through Galveston, but keep going. Keep going to Sabine Lake. Just a little bit further. Keep going to Sabine Lake and have the terminus be there. And he goes, we took a journey out and we're scouting the area. And he goes, I get to Sabine Lake and I just go, there it is, guys. See that right there? And he's looking out at the lake area and he's pointing it out. He goes, that is going to be where the main port is. And, and it's just a bunch of land. It's a bunch of undeveloped land. We're going to put a port here. This is where the city's going to be. I saw in my eyes the city spring up like magic. Like it was being created from my mind into reality. And that is what happened. The city of Port Arthur, named after him, Grew out of nowhere. That's what the brownies told him to do. That's what he did. And Galveston was hit by one of the worst natural disasters in American history. Which I don't know. I don't know why he didn't warn anybody. I guess at that point you would think he was insane. Now his family knew about the brownies. His wife knew about the brownies. I don't think his business investors knew about the brownies. And the people of Galveston, Texas, are you going to believe him? Even though he's this astute businessman, he's laid all this railroad, would you believe him if he did warn you? He not only laid this railroad, he not only ran this business, he was also a poet, a songwriter, an author. He's publishing all this stuff, and he's running this company, and he's envisioning these cities springing up out of nowhere. Forty cities were founded by this guy. He has this great quote, though, 
Quote, the engineering plans that I've put in effect have all come from an engineer who has been long dead. I have transcribed scores of poems which have been dictated to me by poets. I have written the music of many songs which have been dictated to me by musicians. Unquote. The brownies were funneling this beautiful art through him. Now, were they deceased people? Were they guardian angels? Not for the people of Galveston, Texas, but for him. What was this? What were these voices? And they seemed to be right. It's one thing to pull the parlor trick. I can guess who's coming to dinner. But it's another thing to allow a country to thrive on the advice of voices in your head. Something that would get you put in a psych ward if you admit it out loud. He built a nation. But, for all of the Brownies' ability at writing poetry and laying track and seeing the future, not good with money. (laughs) Not good with money, these Brownies, because he ended up running afoul of unscrupulous investors and he got ripped off. The company went into like default and... When the end finally came for Arthur Stilwell on September 26, 1928, he suffered a stroke, which killed him, and he only had a net worth of $1,000. Now, that is $1,000 old-timey money, but that's still not a ton of money. His company was devoured by ruthless investors taking back what they felt was owed to them. Thirteen days later, his wife, so distraught over the loss of her husband. Here's a weird coincidence. I didn't really think about this when I put these stories together. She jumped out of their apartment, killing herself. An odd footnote to this story, an odd footnote to this already bizarre story, is that their ashes, Arthur and Genevieve's ashes, were going to be buried together together in death like they were in life. Someone broke into the mortuary and stole their ashes. We've had a theme throughout the show on a couple episodes about, is it possible that people... Is there a group out there that's trying to collect these items that may be cursed or blessed or have some sort of connection to the paranormal? We covered that story recently. I forgot to mention this, but there I mentioned it briefly. There was the college that had a haunted stained glass window. And someone stole the window. Like they removed it for safekeeping and then it disappeared. And I didn't get to mention it on that episode. I'll put it in the show notes. But I wanted to add, maybe that window has also ended up in someone's collection. When you have these items that are truly haunted... Is it sitting in a dusty basement, just misplaced, mislabeled? Or are there people who collect these items or government agencies that collect these items of paranormal importance? If the government's trying to reverse engineer a UFO, I don't think they would be like, haunted paintings, that's ridiculous, what are you talking about? No, you would have an agency trying to collect that stuff as well. So where did that mirror go? Where did their ashes go? This man 
heard, clearly heard voices from beyond. Wouldn't you want his ashes? Like Jason, no, I'm not a monster. But you would. It's something, right? It is something. If that's what you were in charge of, was collecting these items, that would be something to get. The remains of a bona fide psychic. Probably one of the most powerful psychics, most powerful channeler, however you want to put it, in American history. Sylvia Brown didn't set up 40 towns. Yuri Geller has not laid one single track of railroads, right? This guy changed American life. The Brownies told him to do it. So from a man who almost committed suicide because he got stuck in a time loop for five minutes to a man who spent his entire life building railroads because of the voices in his head told him to. Insanity takes many forms. The question is, can the insane be beneficial to humanity? And that's really the story of Arthur Stilwell. And I would even say that's the story of Robert Downey Jr. To look at this disgusting burger and take a couple bites out of it and make a connection and see the future. See yourself dead or destitute or imprisoned. He sees that in just a few bites of a burger. He gets that gut instinct. None of those are rational. Any scientist would say, well, it doesn't matter. There's just all neurons firing off in your brain. Deja vu is this, and that's just Burger King. This other guy, he, it was just a, just a coincidence. He heard voices, and then he built these railroads. But to the people who have a passion for the paranormal, all of these things are kind of a through line. Our grasp on a reality, and all of us have this, is tenuous at best. A small snap, a small snag in that fabric can send us spiraling down into insanity. The question is, is it a bad insanity that makes you hurt yourself or others? Or is it, I don't even know if this is a thing, or is it good insanity that saves your lives or guides you to build cities? Cities Arthur built. Is insanity so awful if it reshapes society? Good insanity. If there is such a thing as good insanity, I wish more people had it. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.